Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Kaveh. Joining me today in this humor adjacent medical podcast uh, is a a good friend of mine and a ER doctor at Northwestern in Chicago. For those of you like me who don't have a great understanding of what the middle of the country looks like, Chicago. He is also the JAMA Network Open Digital Media Editor. His name is Seth Truger. Seth, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, taking your spot for me on. I did say you're an ER doctor, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> All right. I'm really bad at introductions. Um, so you're a doctor. You have lots of followers on social media. You have a very large social media presence. You've been using that platform for a long time now, longer than most of us, to, to fight the good fight. You've been out there fighting misinformation for a long time, promoting science in, and I think, a very fun and clever way. You're one of the first people on social media I noticed, first doctors on social media, who wasn't afraid to take people to task for spreading bad science and for uh, spreading medical misinformation. And, you know, I first met you back in like August of 2020 that you came on. I think it was around then you came on the show. We talked about what it was like being an ER doctor on the front lines of a pandemic. At that time, you were making a lot of uh, media appearances you're doing radio you're doing tv but over a couple months you started making fewer and fewer of those appearances we're going to talk a little bit today about why that is now there's something uh that i think your friends know but you haven't really done as far as i know in a public way yet um what is it that that made you transition from being sort of the tv presence to more of the online what was happening at that time well, I would say first and foremost, by far, I stopped getting invited. I mean, I was like barely ever on main media. <laughs> I, I I did CNN like three times, which is awesome and really cool. But like 
frankly, like I just didn't get invitations. But as many of you can probably hear now, around that time in July 2020, I started noticing some trouble walking and some slurred speech. It was very subtle at first, and usually like at the end of the day or when I was really tired um, and slowly got worse. It was long path. Um, and then the winter uh, 2020, 2021 is when it started getting really bad. Um, and in March of 2021, I finally figured out and I was diagnosed with the paraneoplastic syndrome. Um, so, yeah. Can you explain to some of our listeners who may not know what that word means, what a perineoplastic syndrome is? Yeah, sure. So basically, um, perineoplastic syndromes are, there's a whole family of very rare autoimmune responses to cancer, where my immune system recognizes part of my body as a cancer and attacks it. So in my case, it's attacking part of my brain um, that it thinks is the cancer, uh, and it's affecting part of my coordination and speech. So what was the underlying cancer? Um, so yeah, so interestingly, I had salmonoma, a type of testicular cancer in my thymus, in my chest. Mm -hmm. uh, thymus is an immune organ that most of us lose when we're grownups. Um, and I never had cancer per se. This is like, we, this is pretty common with these syndromes where you have weird symptoms and don't have cancer and eventually find the cancer um and it's very strange because like i don't really think of myself as like someone who had cancer like we found microscopic seminoma when i had the thymus resected as part of my workup for the nerve problems mm -hmm. and well um, wait so they removed the thymoma before they knew that there was anything in the in the thymus yeah they, that's interesting. Yeah. Why did they, did they have any evidence to remove the, the, the thymus at that point? Yeah. I mean, so part of it was kind of a shot in the dark. I mean, basically I had at that point signs of inflammation. I had a PET scan that showed in a, a lymph node near my heart in mm -hmm. the mediastinum. And the, uh, the chest surgeon was like, you know what? It looks like there's a lot of thymus tissue. Like most people have none at this point or just like, and I think measuring grams, like 10 grams, is like mm -hmm. kind of big. Mine, when they took it out, was like 100 grams. So it's all mm. pretty small, mm -hmm. but big in that context. And then yeah. it actually took two looks at the pathology to find the cancer cells. Wow. Um, but yeah, basically, the, the chest was like, we're going for a biopsy. If I see thymus, I'll take it out. Maybe that's part of it. Um, Probably the most common time people have thymus as adults has part of the disease is myasthenia gravis. So mm -hmm. like he was like, I don't know, maybe there's some weird myasthenia. Well, I'll take it out. It's easy while we're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you have any other surgical treatment or any? Uh, tell us about the rest of the treatments you got yeah, that was non-surgical. So the main treatments I had was, um, sorry, the main treatment I had is immune suppression. So basically it tamped down my immune system and stopped it from fighting me. Um, the first waves I got about six months of cyclophosphamide, which is basically an old school chemo that we don't use for chemo much anymore because it's so immune suppressing and there's better agents now. Um, and now one of the more common uses is for direct immune suppression. Um, kind of random trivia is the, uh, using cyclophosphamide for immune suppression 
was apparently piloted by Fauci in the 70s. It was like part of his early career. So mm-hmm. it's kind of fun mm-hmm. fact. Like for me, this is also surreal and intertwined COVID that like that's like one more like seriously writer so you're doing this <laughs> you're like this is just lazy writing universe <laughs> exactly <laughs> you, you couldn't come up with another doctor it had to be Fauci <laughs> yeah, um, exactly so there's so much to talk about but just yeah. real quick on that note you are now are you still on uh, immune suppression yeah so I'm so immune suppressed um I take salsept or microphenolate which is pills that uh are pretty common for organ transplant patients. And um, I also get every couple of months infusions of rituximab, which is a, a monoclonal antibody that suppresses B cells. So again, time back into COVID, you know. Yeah, you're now in this really interesting group of people in the United States, a very sizable group of people in the United States, which is people who have some immunocompromise of some sort. And it must be a trip and I'm, that's probably the most gentle way to put it, when you have to hear people or see people online constantly refer to the safety of this mild Omicron variant. Oh, if you're not immunocompromised, you're fine. But you're one of these people now that's like, well, hold on, <laughs> hold on. I may have a little issue. Yeah. I mean, I would say for me, and first off, the top line number that no one knows exactly how many people are being compromised. The estimate is probably the laziest, easiest guess that I use about 3%, about one in 30 people. Um, based on people of cancer, transplants, problems like mine where you take immune suppressants, um, some, some, some stuff like that. Um, you know, and again, not this is, I don't think about it as about me, but like, one in 30 is a lot of people one in 30 people each each of those probably has what on average at least two people in their lives who's even more so it's one in 10 people are either immune compromised or live with or close to someone who is so like 10 percent right off the bat are in that like vulnerable population yeah and also just like you know you never know what people have right i mean right uh, there's, I'm sure, going to be a lot of people who hear this or find out about me. You're like, wait, what's been going on? I had no clue. Right. And it's not, again, not about me, but how many people have IBD, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, mm-hmm. lupus, uh, yeah. rheumatoid arthritis? I mean, yeah. who, who are, you know, get infusions from like Humara a couple of times a year. Yeah. No one knows. They live, you know, outwardly normal lives. Um, my mom has UC and takes Humara and like, she was a school teacher until she retired. Like, no one would have known. Um, yeah, yeah. No. And I mean, I would say one more thing, just riffing on this is one interesting thing is I, you know, through this experience, have been shocked how many people are coming out of the woodwork, like people roughly my age or younger or near peers who have cancer now, have had cancer 10, 15, 20 years ago, are on immune suppression for whatever, like, we don't talk about it much. We all as doc kind of know what happens, but like, I mean, there's, I mean, I could list half a dozen people off the top of my head who, you know, are, I know better than 9% of people I know on Twitter who, oh, wait, they're in compromise too. They have cancer yeah. too. They're going through stuff. Right, right. Or have some other underlying risk for COVID, right. some bad asthma or some obesity, hypertension. Yeah. 
Um, it's amazing how much, you know, you'll see people mention someone dies because of COVID and still to this day, you know, the first question people have is, well, what were their underlying risk factors? Because they want to believe it's not them, you know, and there are so many people out here that have things. We we just, it's funny how ghoulish we can be about looking uh, over that. Now, wait, let me jump in here. Please. I mean, there's one thing that's really bugged me about that is when you look at the numbers of who's vulnerable, who's at risk for COVID, the biggest risk factors, the most common risk factors are incredibly common. There are things like high blood pressure, obesity, overweight, diabetes. You know, we're talking about stuff like a third of Americans have high blood pressure. I, I forget what it's a third of Americans or a third of adults, but either way, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are overweight or obese. A lot of people have high cholesterol or diabetes. So not only are we talking about huge numbers of people, we're also talking about, you know, the stats on this, the math, the risk, the risk is like two, two and a half. It's not like 90% of people are healthy and 10% of people are these exclusively people in hospitals. Yeah. It's like people you work with, people you know, people you've seen the bus that look like and we think of as normal people like us. And yeah. like, you know, just think for 10 seconds about someone you work with who's over the age of 50, probably on blood pressure meds. That's yeah. who's high risk. Right, right. And by the way, the CDC has it listed as 47% of Americans. Have, I mean, that's that's saying like strict it, definitions of high blood pressure, like over yeah. a systolic of 130. Yeah. But, you know, that's a lot of people and we know a lot of people. So, yeah, who, and just that's probably 47 percent of adults, I think. Yeah, it's adults. Um, but, yeah, yeah. It's adults. but yeah, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I so you are, you know, there's, there's so much discuss about you particularly getting this in and in this time. But just just going to you sort of like on a on a personal level i I know you're someone who likes to communicate i know you're someone who he hosted shows has his own podcast has done a lot of media stuff you have used your voice in a lot of different ways you use it online you use it in your writing the writing's very good but you you know you did it literally with your voice as well i mean how has this been in terms of like dealing with the frustration of that how are you dealing with that yeah i mean it's it's incredibly frustrating. I mean, I've always been someone who's talked too fast. Um, you know, part of it being like I grew up on the East Coast, the whole like, I don't know, yeah. New York, get your words out for my two siblings and parents interrupt. Um, <laughs> part of it is like, you know, I just think faster than I can talk. Um, yeah. And now it's way worse. It's so hard. Um, I mean, stuff. One thing that's been was really strange was, as you said, I used to do a video for Jam Network Open every week where we talked about um, we interviewed authors about a paper they had, and it wasn't a huge project. We had probably an average like two thousand views a week, which is you know not nothing, but not huge. And uh, these like random YouTube commenters at first were like, "Hey, slow down." Hmm. You know, um, work on elocution, try to pronunciate better. And this was like before I even knew or noticed anything was going on. And I was like, yeah, I talk too fast. Mm-hmm. And then by um, like November 2020, was November 2020, it was like, I was like, realized what was going on. Again, like people I don't know at all on YouTube, like commenting on these like random small journal videos, being like, yeah. wow his speech is bad. Someone's like, yeah, this is kind of where something's going on. And I'm like, there's these like, randos who are like, 
people we talk to at like Canada now, like yeah, yeah. were like worried about me and defending me in YouTube comments on these tiny videos. That's interesting. And when this was happening, when did it start to become like, when did it trigger something for you that something was wrong? Like, when did you start to worry? Yeah. So, so the, I'll, I'll give you my like short story of, yeah. of events. So, um, the first thing I noticed something is weird was, uh, July 4th weekend of uh, 2020, so right after the first big COVID wave, we did like a VRBO trip where you'd be like COVID safe and, and okay. And my, my uh, wife and I went for a run through these little hills. And I was like, whoa, it feels like it rained. It's like kind of slippery. Like maybe my shoes are worn down. Um, and then I used to ride a longboard, one of those skateboards. And mm -hmm. uh, my wife and daughter and I were going to go on a little, like, you know, trip around the neighborhood and uh, they were going to bike. My daughter had learned how to bike recently and like, it was going to be our activity for the day. And I sat on the board and like, it was like my knees were made of ball bearings. I was like, mm -hmm. I can't do this. Like, this is wrong. Yeah. I actually, mm -hmm. um, you know, talked informally with a friend who's a PT and thought maybe it was like, meniscus injury or knee strengthening exercise could help IDPT for my knee for like a few weeks. Yeah. Um, and then we actually did another, uh, another little VRBO trip and then with these stairs and it was like the, you know, these stairs are just weird. Like my heels keep in the back, the banister is like on the wrong side. I like just like didn't feel right carrying yeah. a plate of food down the stairs. Yeah. I wasn't like hiding it, but started taking the inside stairs just so like my wife didn't see. Not mm. not to hide it from, but just because like I realized that something was going on. I needed yeah. to like, hey, bring it up again, and yeah. decided I need to see someone about it. What? I mean, I think there's a lot of valid reasons and you don't have to even explain them to me, but you know, since you're here, this is, this is what we do. Yeah. What was your reason for not sharing this? You've had, you've been dealing with this for a while. You've been yeah. going through this. Uh, and I think, I mean, a lot of people overshare on Twitter and you, I think this will surprise a lot of your followers that this has been happening. They'll have no idea. So what a, why did you decide to kind of keep it a not a secret but but not an open public thing and then what's changing now and why have you decided now that you're willing to talk about it maybe even write about it yeah so obviously the the first thing is like there wasn't ever like a big decision like i'm not gonna share or it was kind of more like it was a bunch of little decisions i think um verse kind of broadly like there wasn't much of a natural point to be like hey this is when things are how they are and i should share there was no like natural break point there um and the second was like i don't know i didn't really want my social media kind of the professional side of my social media to be about me and my disease and my process yeah and, like not for privacy reasons because like frankly like i don't know i'm sure someone can make arguments about how we can advocate for disabled people or mean compromised people really like i just want to use my platform as an er doc and public health doc because like help with the pandemic can help people live their lives and like mm -hmm. i don't want it to be like dr truger's parody of plastic twitter views <laughs> <laughs> right it would be hard for it to not dominate your your feed yeah. so What's um and again that kind of goes back to what we we're talking about earlier. I mean, you've done a really good job of of giving a voice 
to uh, a lot of frustrated medical professionals out there who don't have the same size following as you or the same reach. You've done a really good job of, of looking at, and I think a pretty fair way, some of the contrary medical opinions out there, some of the more dangerous, in my opinion, medical opinions out there, and looking at them reasonably and addressing them fairly. And, and that's been a big part of what your Twitter uh, presence has been about and your social media presence in general. What is, what's changing now? Why are you at a point now where you're willing to discuss it? I mean, basically what it came down to is one, I realized things aren't changing. Like with my, the specific like sub syndrome I have, like there's only been about a hundred known patients. So I don't know a ton of data, but we're pretty, me and my doctors are pretty confident. I'm not getting it better, but I've been doing well and not getting worse. And that's like where I can, what I can hope for. And like, so things are a steady state. Um, so one, things aren't really gonna change. Two, I've now been back at work for a few months and like gone back at work and back in a routine and like kind of stress tested and I can do it. Um, and there's not big concerns there or anything. Um, part of it, I will say is, uh, I had kind of, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer. Um, I was like, hey, I should write up my experience. And basically, as my medical leave was ending, I was like, wow, I got to write this up before I go back to work. <laughs> just for like, <laughs> just logistics of like, I have time. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, I don't know. How's it feel going back to work? Um, it's been, I mean, it's it's so surreal for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, I still want to be getting back on the bike. Um, you know, it's so much with the pandemic, especially there's been like a huge turnover in our nurses. So like half the nurses I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. um, and like, they have no idea who I am. And there's a bunch of people, it's kind of like Twitter, where like, I know a lot of the nurses, they're, we're super friendly. We don't like hang out. But the social aspect of it yeah. is, is part of what you're, I'm assuming, enjoying at this point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, also the professional fulfillment. Like, I like taking care of patients. I yeah. like teaching residents. A big part of, I think, why it's kind of easy for me to go back to work is I work in, like, hardcore academic ER where, like, I'm, I'm usually with a team of three or four residents and PAs and MPs. Like, mm -hmm. they're doing most of the legwork. I, yeah. like, you know, can, can come around as a supervising doc and be like, you know, make my little jokes and hold their hand and nod. Yeah, yeah. Like, right, right, right. Hold the patient hand, not the resident hand. Right. <laughs> it's a whole different episode. Yeah. Um, so you, you know, we, you're of the same age as me, like where we probably had to watch the movie The Doctor with, uh, was it William Hurt or John Hurt? John Hurt's the one that had the alien pop out of his chest. William Hurt is the one in The Doctor. Um, yes, yeah. I think that's right. So, so that's like that movie where he plays sort of a kind of a callous doctor and then he gets a, a cancer diagnosis and he goes through like the medical system and he becomes like, he starts to understand different aspects of it. But, you know, you, you always sort of struck me as like an empathetic guy to begin with. So I'm kind of curious, like what has this experience, if anything, done in terms of changing your view of, of the patient experience? I mean, what insight has it given you? you're not the first person to ask me this i've had a few people ask me like hey you know now that you've gone through it do you really appreciate what patients have gone through and 
No, I was good at that before. Like I knew it. But yeah, I, I, I as you said, I've been pretty empathetic. Like yeah. I don't like it. I, I don't enjoy doing it. I've always appreciated how messed up the systems are. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of I'm super plugged in. Have a ton of resources. Have a ton of support. Have you know get VIP treatment when I go to my ER as a patient. <laughs> Um, you know, I know the pharmacist in the ER number and get informal advice all the time and get all sorts of expert advice that people don't have at like the tip of my fingers and mm-hmm. all of this other stuff. Um, and like other people have to navigate this, it's crazy. Like it's yeah. it's it's hard. Yeah. It's incredibly hard for me to and I have all this goals and resources to do it. It's yeah, yeah. I mean and again I, I didn't like learn this. I'm I knew that, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. It's just, when terrible. you experience it, it's a different thing. I, you know, we had, um, a couple times, uh, Dr. Glockenflecken come on and he talked about his experience with it and the amount of frustration and how difficult and he works in a different system, I, I think than you. And he had a lot. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better. Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST lot of insurance issues to go through that hopefully you have not had to deal with but it it was really eye-opening for a lot of people just to be like this is how hard it is for someone who is very savvy knows the system is a doctor you know has a huge outreach uh, on on social media and still had to go through this insanity it's i think that is uh, if nothing else it, it doesn't take much for us to realize that in the medical profession like how hard it is for, for other people. It's hard enough for us. You, you, uh, you mentioned that you have a daughter. She's how old? She's nine now. How, what have you told her about what's happening? I mean, she knows she's sees all of it. You know, she's seen me all with Kane. She's been through it. Um, you know, I feel like she's at an age where she can't comprehend all of it, but she kind of gets it. Um, and she knows things are hard for me and she helps me with stuff. Um, I mean, the sweetest thing in the world was last year when I had my chest surgery and she was trying to hug me and like remember which side hurts mm-hmm. and avoid mm-hmm. it. It was mm-hmm. like so sad. Yeah. Oh man, that's heartbreaking. That yeah. that's the stuff that messes me up. I I mean, how I mean is it hard to not get a little bit like um bitter? Is it hard to just be like, why the fuck did this happen to me? This is bullshit. <laughs> um, kind of. I mean, part of my brain is so much like, all right, this is how it is. Let's do it now. Um, but yeah, it sucks. I mean, I don't, I try not to get into like 
why me and why not bad people um i mean there's i feel like there's like no waiting there um and i just try to make the most of it and do what i can like it sucks um but this is how it is and i try to do you know live my life the best i can have you gotten any counseling like you know emotional psychological counseling during this process um, yeah, I got some. There was there was some stuff I got kind of earlier on when I asked my chemo that was, I mean, I don't know if I'm just like so amazingly introspective, I don't need much, or so like bottled up, pushing it down that it's already exploded. <laughs> but, um, let it build into that ulcer until yeah. it just erupts and I have to scope you. I mean, I think just most of it was like, it kind of helped her articulate some stuff, but like I processed that pretty well. And, you know, I think for me, I don't think I need that much of it. Um, I'm glad some people have resources for it. It sucks that more people don't have more support and there's stigma. What advice do you have for other people that are in similar situations as you? I mean, I think for me, the biggest thing is recognizing the difference between like normal day to day problems and like big problems. And just being like, it took me some nudges to like get a cane, get a walker, go on medical leave, and not like I got my chest surgery in the middle of shifts and like didn't take time off and people didn't even know. And like, I didn't even need to do that. It was fine. It was like robotic yeah. and a huge deal. And it was like two days in the hospital. But like, I talk to people, you know, it's like when I have um, friends reach out, I'm like, I'm really worried my, you know, four year old preschool has an outbreak and I'm not sure if I'm asking right. And like, I don't know where to go. And I'm just like, dude, if you need permission to take care of your kid and not yeah. in preschool, do it. Like, that's it. Dude, you know, you you bring on something that is a more important overall uh, aspect of what doctors need to deal with and medical healthcare professionals in general need to deal with. It's that this whole like nonsense of like the hospital will cease to function if I'm not yep. there. Like that is not going to work for us anymore. It's just not going to. That's how we yep. were all trained, how you and I were trained. I don't know if I missed, I think, I don't know if I missed the day of residency. Yeah. I don't know. Like even when I was sick, but like, that has to change or because we're already had at a point where we're burned out. I was lucky. My work, my scheduler, Rochelle, she really helped take care of me when I got COVID. I didn't have to like, I was feeling awful. I was sick. I didn't have to like hunt down someone to do my coverage for me. Yep. You know, Roshan and her took care of that for me, but like other, other people, and I know other people that they're, they call them with COVID their chief, doesn't even check in on them their chief doesn't talk to them their chief doesn't even say how you doing they get a message from someone saying like hey you need to find who's going to cover you and this person's sick with yeah. covid that's not how system should be it drives me fucking crazy yeah, i mean I, this is an underlying problem that we need to do i mean it's a smaller level than having you know perineoplastic <laughs> syndrome from a cancer but it's part of the same fucking problem that we have and if we don't fix this like immediately we are hosed yeah, and I think we've seen this not to medicine, but across the board. Like, you, we need pay time off. We need systems for backup. I'm very lucky with my department, super supportive across the board. And, like, you know, even if you have to miss shift, like, 
our scheduler med director people are like, do you want me to figure it out? And we'll just take it off the hours of the year, or do you want to figure out a trade on your own and keep the hours and treat a shift? Like, how do you want to do it? Whatever works, like, and you know, it's just so hard and you're totally right. Like when I was a resident, there was very much like, do not call out sick, do not call in sick call. It's yeah. a sign of weakness and it's crap. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a side note. I got called in for sick call when I was uh, with my wife at Sex in the City too. And I saw the chief was called me. I was like, well, this is bittersweet. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like Sex in the City? Yeah. Unbelievable. You I are like, such a Samantha. I, I enjoyed the show enough. The second movie, I would say, is not as bad of but in the same ballpark as Sharknado. Is that is it the one where they went? I didn't watch either of them. I never watched the show really. Um, I don't think I was the target audience. But did, which was the one where they went to the Middle East? Yeah, that one. Okay, because at some point I am going to watch it just so I can get angry and be it's, like, <laughs> I mean, it's just like I, you know, I'm more of like a fan by proxy. Like my wife likes it. Sure, I can like tell her watching it so she can that kind of thing. And like, like they made Miranda this like weird pandering idiot instead of like the like hardcore awesome lawyer she is. Like it was mm -hmm. just terrible. Miranda's the one with the short hair. Yeah, this show is now a full on Sex in the City like <laughs> <laughs> a recapture. Um, all right, so oh man, we got a lot of questions for you. Yeah, uh, I'm coming. So you know, we talked a little bit about it. It sounds like you're you are pretty comfortable, or you've at least accepted that there won't be any dramatic miracle quote unquote that you're going to recover your physical function and your your speech fully but i guess one what are you doing to what is your what is your your hope for the future and and what are you doing to try and make that happen yeah i mean honestly i don't know i mean my my hope is that you know, it's so hard to find the cancer that is causing this. And like, you know, perineoplasty syndrome was on the differential long before we could figure out what it was or what the cancer was, which is pretty common, but like, it's so hard to find. Um, I mean, some of my conversation with my cancer docs is so surreal because like, submenoma is generally pretty well treated and recurrence is pretty low. And outcomes and recurrence are pretty good, but like I'm not worried about recurrence in 10 years and having a big mass and then getting sick. I'm worried about like a microscopic recurrence in like seven years and we can't find it and we can't get rid of it. And like, who, like it's just so strange. I mean, mm -hmm. it's such a surreal situation where like I'm, I have a problem. It's like cancer related. I'm not worried about the cancer at all. It's yeah, so yeah. hard to explain. It, it's a it's a real mind fuck. And the, yeah. the thing about this is, you know, it's always you never want to be that patient that has the interesting diagnosis. Yeah. And now you are that patient with the interesting diagnosis. And there's not a ton of detail. You mentioned there's like a hundred reports of of this sort of thing, which is not nothing, but you know, it's not like the randomized control trials that we, yeah. you know, we would like to see. So I mean, how are you managing your care at this point? Are you like are you driving the ship at this point? Are you letting some other doctor do it? What's your approach? Yeah, I mean, at this point, things are pretty 
like, I don't know, stable. I want to say autopilot. My docs do a fair amount of work, but I have like two main neuroimmunologists, uh, one here, one at Mayo. The one at Mayo is the one who like found this syndrome. Um, this like very specific subtype of perinatal syndrome. Um, so like some of it's kind of like coordinating between them and like the few times they disagree, trying to figure out like is a real <laughs> disagreement or is this like Zosin versus heterosexual and fragile? Like, right, 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 right. Like, Where someone just has their favorite and they're really yeah. strong, but the reality is it's probably okay. Right. Like there's yeah. a, and and they're all great. Um also I was lucky where my fellow last year who was like super involved and like recognized how hard it was for us to have a like she did a great job of like telling us like, hey, I can be a person, like if you need anything, let me know and like we'll try to figure it out. And she stayed on faculty here, so She's kind of informally helping too, but a lot of it is like, you know, it's kind of on autopilot. Some random stuff comes up, like, do I get another booster, and if so, when, mm -hmm. and how do I figure that out, and like, it's yeah. just kind of like hurting cats in medicine stuff. Yeah, you, it's a the thing is, if it is an autoimmune process that starts it, I mean you're hitting you you got hit i'm assuming hard at first harder yep. and now you're on uh chronic immunosuppression w has what's the the thought about why it's still a problem is it that it it's damaged some nerves already and there's no recovery from that like what's the the thought yeah. behind it? i think the pathophys i think is like like microscopic granulomas in the nerve cells or nerve mm. tissue mm. and that's not gonna get better like there's like not visible but like microscopic changes that are just there and are there yeah. forever and at this point the the main thing is to not make that progress um we actually you know we haven't crossed this bridge yet but like we don't know how long to be immune to rest for like one of the docs thinks like two years will probably wipe out the memory t-cells and the other patients have done well with that recurrence after like being off immune suppression for two years mm -hmm. the other argument is like we don't have a biomarker we don't know if what whether or not it's working like i got my COVID test before i started immune suppression and i still seem to be immune from everything you can tell including labs and yeah recent exposures and been okay but and like that's all there so we don't really know um yeah. I mean, part of my calculus here is like, if I'm being stressed forever, I'm gonna get an infection at some point. Like it's yeah. just bound to happen. If it's like three years, I might squeak by that ever get pneumonia or COVID or whatever. I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, as a liver doctor, I deal with a lot of liver transplant stuff, oh. and and um, you know, we it it's not at it's something we always have to be mindful of, something yeah. that we are very cautious of, and I know you are. Um, but it's not like something we count as an, an inevitability. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I don't mean so, like I don't inevitable, but like, you know, like. No, it's something I, you're always going to have to think about. And especially yeah. now that you're in the front lines again, dealing with <laughs> yeah. COVID again, yeah. I'm sure it weighs on you heavily. I, well, you know? yeah, I mean, there's the pandemic stuff, which who knows how long that's going to go on for now. But also like, I've always like, liked high risk foods like oysters and sushi <laughs> and, you know, undercooked burgers and like, you know, Yes, I can get by without ever having oysters. I can get by without ever eating oysters again. But like, yeah. you know, 
thing you're gonna at some point day. you're gonna make some like yeah. risk benefit analysis i'll tell you this i don't eat oysters i don't <laughs> i don't have the same problem but i've had post nasal drip so i know yeah. what the feeling of mucosa <laughs> going down the back of my throat is like so i don't need oysters and yeah. also as a gi doctor then you see like vibrio cholera once or right. twice and you're like ah, it's just not worth it For sure yeah. so you make your risk benefit analysis yeah i mean because the other thing is you know my symptoms are like a ratchet where if I get worse, that's the new normal, right? Like mm -hmm. if I progress, that's probably how things are forever. So like if I come off immune suppression and get and it's the wrong call, the stakes are huge. Yeah, yeah, right. I hear you. I hear yeah. you saying. I mean, I, I have to tell you, so we first talked in August of 2020, and I didn't notice anything at that point at all. Yeah, that was um, yeah. Yeah. Um then I we we had you back on for a, another episode like a couple months later, like that yeah, it was December. Like November, or yeah, December, yeah, exactly. And we were all drinking for that episode because yeah. it was the best of uh, or the end of the year episode. Yep. So we were all maybe slurring our words just a little bit. So yeah. I don't I don't know if I noticed much then. And then I talked to you not too long ago, and and it was a little bit more pronounced than it is today. I mean, I hear it there. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. You you, yep. you know it's there. It's a little bit, but. It's not keeping you from communicating. I mean, pretty. Yeah. It's not keeping you from communicating pretty elaborate and you know complicated thoughts. That's a good thing, and it actually sounds a little bit better to me, which is which is nice, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's more how much it varies based on how I slept, what time it is, how much I've talked today. Um, random variation. I mean, we did that. Uh, the episode of Ryan and Sharky the end yeah. of the year last year. Um, I think it's funny because I was drinking a fair amount of bourbon at the time, and I feel like <laughs> you just thought I was very drunk when I was like I, pretty yeah. drunk. That's exactly right. I did. I didn't know until you told me later. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but really, like you thought I was like you know drunk to like seven i was really yeah. drunk at five and yeah, yeah. seven i thought you were at my level is what i'm trying to say and you were not at my level no i mean i i had a lot of bourbon yeah i know god we'll do that again well well here's here's what we'll do we'll have you on for our next end of the year episode and we will our goal will all be to drink so much that you can't tell yeah that we're, yeah. we're all going to be at the same level that's going to be my goal yeah. um all right so at, at this point, um, I'm sure you you've thanked a lot of people already. Uh, and I know you've been very vocal about how how great people that have been helping you have been. Um, but, you know, I, the, the one person I, I also know that you're very grateful for is is your wife and, and, and everything she's done for you. She's been just really an amazing, I think, advocate and uh, partner for you. Um, anything you want to say for her right now? I mean, you're not going to be able to hear me because I'm crying now, but um, yeah, I mean, there's been a huge burden on her, terrifying for her. She's been hugely supportive and it's been amazing. Um, it's just been, I mean, she thought I was dying. You know, she's the person who has to like help me into places to get crap for me. It's deal with me when I'm getting chemo and feel like crap and can't move. Um, and has been amazing. So I can't thank her enough. I mean, yeah, she stuck with me and she gets all my money no matter what. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm also a simple man with simple needs. Like I like hand rang or buying a $20 guitar pedal, but like, 
I know it's so funny how we'll do that sort of stuff. I'll spend like an hour like on Amazon trying to be like, do I need the the thirteen dollar guitar strings or should I should I just settle yep. for the eleven dollar guitar strings? And at the same time, like I'll make like these huge money things. Like I'm just gonna buy that one car yeah. that's like this much money, like that's thousands of dollars more. I know. Like I was looking into the new uh, expanded um, uh, student loan forgiveness program, and it was like. Oh, it's like a few hours of paperwork. It's so annoying. It's like two hundred thousand bucks for like two a few hours of work versus yeah. like how much time is spent on like a twenty dollar beaver pedal. <laughs> I know. Yeah, because doctors, we don't know anything about. It. We don't understand money. No. We just don't get it. It's don't get nope. it. Um. Anyways, all right, man. Well, uh, it it really it's nice having you on. Uh, I'm I'm glad that we did this episode for a lot of reasons but my most selfish reason is now that it's been discussed and now that we our listeners understand that i'm very hopeful that you will come back on on a little bit more of a regular basis now that this has happened well thank you i mean we really as you said just met like early in the pandemic but like you've been a great friend and super supportive and every time we've talked about doing the show you're amazing gracious about what i'm comfortable with and what i want to talk about and i really appreciate all that um and also honestly like every time we talk like this like it's a good time like this like how i would spend my saturday for fun forget about like recording a podcast yeah no i'm the same way i try to explain that to my wife like who's like not on social media at all or doesn't listen to this podcast at all and she's and I was like, no, these guys are like actually my friends. She's like, are they really? I'm like, yeah. no, like Ryan and, and, you know, Seth, like, I think they're like, you know, there's like Sophie, like there's people that like I, I talk with now on a regular basis that I really do feel yep. the one bright side that came out of COVID is, is that, is that like, we've been able to build some friendships. So yeah, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. And I appreciate everything you're doing really. Like I said before, I think you're a really important voice on social media. I think doctors like you on social media are more important than ever. So I really appreciate you doing what you do there. Um, let's let's close up. Tell people where they can find you um, and where they might be able to read some of your stuff that comes out. Sure. So um, on Twitter is MDAware, M-D-A-W-A-R-E. Um, I tweet a mix of like, COVID stuff, dumb Simpsons jokes, everything. Yeah, um, a lot of Star Wars stuff. A lot of Star Wars stuff. I'm wearing my Star Wars shirt, as you can see. Nice shirt. Nice. Um, thanks. I also want to make a plug where, you know, there's a cliche that you never know what battles people are fighting. And we've kind of like been hitting that a lot. And, you know, there's a lot of my Twitter friends have probably known about my illness and have been very supportive, but also everybody who's been on Twitter, who's been friendly, who's been, you know, engaging in dumb medical talks and dumb jokes and memes, like that's been a huge source of support for me. And um, even if you don't know it, you've been a lot of help for me. Honestly, like a huge amount of fun and a big part of my film. And so thank you all. Yeah, right on. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank you to Nadim for help with production. I really appreciate all his help. If you haven't already, uh, please write and review for us at iTunes. Thank you to everyone that's already done that. We're available pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts. We probably already know that because you're listening to this podcast. And follow us at Twitter at The House of Pod if you haven't already. Seth, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. Let's talk again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Keep up the good work. 
Bye-bye. They don't roll off the tongue in any yeah. any sort of way. Whatsoever. Yeah, and also when your tongue doesn't roll. <laughs> How do you like my mustache? Um, this podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified healthcare provider for your specific healthcare needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.